Turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we'll read from verse 13 to the end of that particular portion of the scriptures. James chapter 5, I commence reading from verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of a church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. This afternoon we come to the concluding passage uh, of the letter in the book of James, and you also come to the uh, conclusion uh, to the journey we've been making through this letter of James. So this afternoon, I, I give my last sermon from the book of James, and it is my 31st sermon from this glorious book of James. And I hope and pray that as we've been going through this, this letter, this book of James, it has, helped us, it has helped us to see that true faith shows itself in practical godly living. True faith shows itself in practical godly living. And that was the, the goal of James to help us see that faith, true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ reveals or shows itself in practical godly living. And James began with a very practical approach uh, to the Christian life as he was writing his letter and maintained it throughout his letter. And, and, and much of what we have looked at or studied was simple and yet profound. And the passages we have considered in the past remain as relevant and needful in our day as they were in the days of James, so in the days when James wrote these enlightening and eternal words. James is, unlike most New Testament letters, you, you notice that in his conclusion, there is no formal conclusion. There are no words of, of greetings, as most of the New Testament letters would end. They, uh, there's no request uh, for prayers. There's no biographical information about the author or the people that are in his camp or with him at the time of his writing. No form of exhortation. No form of uh, I long to see your faces soon or greet one another with a holy kiss. No such formal conclusions. 
he ends abruptly. And it is interesting when you read different authors or commentators on how they try to, to argue out as to why, why does James end in, in this way? Why this abrupt close of his letter? But my, my own submission is that this abrupt ending of, 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 the, of the letter of James is because James does not want his audience and in wide application all of us to miss what he has been trying to write to his audience. He doesn't want us to miss his thrust of his letter in those formal conclusions. He doesn't want us to see this sense of personal agency to that which he has been dealing with in this letter. So he doesn't get carried away in those formal conclusions or formal greetings and all those things. He wants, as he ends his letter, just the way he began with a sense of agency, he wants to end his letter on that high appeal note, the sense of agency. And we need to also have that sense of agency to the things that he has been writing in this letter. And therefore, we need to pay a very careful attention to the concluding remarks or the concluding words in those two verses, verses 19 and 20 of James chapter 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And as he ends his letter, he ends on this concluding challenge. And this concluding challenge is the challenge of restoring a wanderer or a backslider or one who's strayed away from the truth. That's a concluding challenge that he lives with us. And in this concluding challenge, there are just two thoughts that I would like to bring to your attention uh, this afternoon. And I'm sure you've noticed that today's sermons have, have just had two points. I tried very hard as a good Baptist to find the third point. I couldn't. <laughs> I'll just stick to the text and allow it to, to speak. So James has two lessons uh, for us to draw this afternoon. And the first lesson that he gives is the assumed responsibility of believers towards one another. The assumed responsibility of believers towards one another. And this is what he says in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know, the first part of verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. But notice the way he writes in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. Now he's assuming that that will be the responsibility of believers towards one another. He's not saying there is a class of special Christians whose gift is that of restoring backsliders. He doesn't even have in mind, as we would jokingly say, that they are spiritual commandos, that their task is just to go into the rescue mission and bring back those that have been captured or those that have wandered away in the truth. James begins by saying, my brothers, 
indicating that he's writing to those who are believers. He's writing to those who share a common grace. He's writing to those who've come to experience the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if anyone among you... Now, he leaves it open-ended. The if there is... It is that it's possible he didn't have anyone in mind, but looking at the Christian life, and perhaps from past experience, James sees this as a high probability that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be those who will always wander from the truth. And he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and then he says, if someone brings him back, Professing Christians can and will wander from the truth. They will stray from the truth, and at times it will be both doctrinally and morally. And it is the duty of other believers to help the one who strays away from the truth. And, and, and this passage has, has been used by several people to argue the, the possibility of a believer losing his salvation, especially because of the phrase uh, in verse 20, to save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Now, when you look at the, the, the passage itself or the verse, this argument of using this text to, 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 to teach that a believer can lose its salvation is not what James had in mind. And also the argument does not receive support of the other New Testament letters or, or writings. Instead, they... There are two main answers to this simple puzzle. Firstly, look at the content of the verse. And then also look at the context in which the verse is found. Both the content and the content, context do not support that James is teaching that believers may lose their salvation. Rather, when you keep in mind that James is addressing believers by that phrase, my brothers, a word of endearment, a word of identification. He reveals to us what he's dealing with. He's basically saying, it is very possible for a believer, a Christian, to stray away from the truth. He's not talking about losing your salvation, but straying away, wandering away, from the truth. And that is what James is dealing with. And he, say, he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and the phrasing there, to wander, or wandering from the truth, captures the idea that it is something that or rather captures the idea that it is both a somewhat careless and thoughtless move that the believer is making. It's a careless departure from the truth. It's a, a gradual process rather than a swift process. To wonder from the truth doesn't necessarily mean that a person has come to believe untruth or something that is unbiblical. But it as that person is no longer living according to the standard of the truth. And the truth is what God has revealed him to us in his word. And so James is saying that this wandering 
It is something that is gradual, something that is careless. It is something that is thoughtless by the person who begins to wonder. Because they know what the truth is, but they slowly begin to move away from this truth and therefore finding themselves wandering further and further away from the truth. The truth is no longer commanding their steps. And as the scriptures will remind us, truth and life go together. And the authentic Christian life is a life lived in keeping with divine revelation, the truth of God. And so the, the old tenure of James's epistle has to do with writing to Christians or warning Christians not to wander in sinful lifestyles or sinful activities. And James here is arguing for moral purity. James is not talking about someone wandering away doctrinally. But he's talking about moral purity. And this is what he's advocating for. This is what he's been pushing for. And this is what he wants us to see. That even when it comes to how we respond to trials, how we tame our tongue, it has to do with moral purity. How we deal with one another. Whether we are judging one another, taming the tongue, showing partiality. All this have to do with morality, moral purity, our lifestyle. And this is what James is saying must not be true of Christians. And here when he says, if anyone wanders from the truth, that is what he has in mind. Believers are capable of living contrary to the truth of the scriptures. And yes, we know that our eternal life, our believers are guaranteed of the eternity. But that does not mean that you cannot wander into sin. And James is saying, if someone wanders into sinful activities, those who belong to the same faith, out of love for one another, ought to address it with the person, ought to go to the person and speak with them about the matter. That's our responsibility. Because we belong to one body. We belong to one another. And therefore, James takes it for granted that all of us will assume this responsibility. We watch out for one another. We will be each other's keepers. And when we notice that someone is wandering into sin, someone's lifestyle, someone's activities are such that, that they are no longer in line with the truth of God's word. It is our responsibility as brothers and sisters to go to the person and address the issues with them. And this is out of love and concern for their welfare and more importantly, for the honor and glory of God. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 gives the same admonition. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too 
be tempted. This is the, the biblical admonition. It's to watch out for one another and to be each other's keepers. And the reference is very clear. Rather, the, the admonition is very clear. We must watch out for one another and be there for one another. But also, <coughs> it's that we must watch out lest we wander in sin ourselves. You do not have to leave the church in order to leave the truth. You can be in the church and leave the truth and still be in the church. And, and, and the problem with wandering or the trouble with, is, is that wandering from the truth doesn't feel risky at the time. It, it feels like being adventurous. trying to explore a little. You do not know that you've made a mistake until it is too late. And when you look back, you see that that adventure was in fact folly. And this is what wondering is. This is true of our work with the Lord. It's, we begin to compromise. And at the time, it doesn't feel that bad. It doesn't feel too risky. We slowly begin to stay away from means of grace. Stay away from reading our Bible. And every day that passes, you know something is not right, but somehow you convince yourself that you will catch up. You can't recall the last time you read your Bible. You can't recall the last time you prayed. And every day you know something is not right, but somehow you feel that I will be able to catch up. I just need one day when I can sort out myself and put everything in place. That's what wandering is all about. It's, a, it's gradual. Wanting to have both worlds, the best of both worlds, Wanting to keep both companies, as it were. And it seems less dangerous at the time that you are gradually wandering. And, and if it's in the life of a church, it, it, it becomes easy to have this unspoken rule that there are some levels of worldliness that seem to be acceptable in the life of the church. And the, those levels of worldliness who, who differ from context to context or, or culture from culture and, and somehow we begin to slowly accept that this is okay with us as a people and we forget that this is actually worldliness it might be 
it's, it's a case of being greedy, being mat- materialistic, gossip, lust, worry, or, or a number of many other things which the scriptures tell us not to indulge in. But somehow we slowly begin to accept. And before long, it becomes an unspoken rule that this form of worldliness is okay. But what we see is that this idea of wandering, other versions, other versions will say straying, in fact, the word wander or the word stray in the, in the original language has the same root word as the word planet in English, planet. And the basic idea that James has is, you know, when you, talk, when you think of our planet and how that these heavenly bodies just, just move aimlessly as it were, or move as if there's no sense of direction. That's what James is trying to convey here. That this wandering is not just something that is sudden. It is something that is gradual. It is something that seems not to be having any form of direction. It's something that is basically moving to and from. But in this case, James is saying that wandering is wandering into a sinful lifestyle. This moral, sinful lifestyle. And therefore, James is saying, if as God's children, from your numbers, you see someone wandering in sin, wandering away from the truth, it is your responsibility to speak to them reason with them and bring them back to the truth. So there's nothing like, no, me, I don't like confrontation, no, no, me, it's, no, only God can judge. No, it's your responsibility. And this is also in line with what the Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew 18. If a brother sins against you, go show them their sin. And that's a principle we can use. If you see sin in the brother, go show them their sin. That is our responsibility individually and collectively as God's people. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in each generation will always have individuals who wander from the truth. And we must assume our responsibility and deal with them, help them to come back to the truth. The second lesson there we see is the assured results of restoration. Assured results of restoration. We are given those assured results of restoration, verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James gives us those assured results of restoration. He says, believers are responsible to help restore wandering sinners to the truth. And James is encouraging us that that this work of restoration must have its goal must recognize the important results in the end. And those are the results he gives us. What are they? The results are that you will be instrumental in saving 
their soul. But also, you'll be used of God in covering a multitude of sins. And let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, when James uses the word soul there, he's not really just thinking of the, the immaterial or the spiritual dimension of an individual. The way, he, the way he uses the word soul, he uses it comprehensively. It, it simply means a person. A person as a whole, both physical and spiritual. And you remember, he, he used this same term in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1 and verse Verse 21, when he was talking about how we should uh, receive God's word, in James 1, verse 21, he says, Therefore put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Which is able to save your souls. In James chapter 1, verse 21, as well as in James chapter 5, verse 20, when he uses the word soul, he's not just talking about that invisible part of the human being. No, he's talking about the human being as a whole. He may as well say, it, if anyone, uh, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save him, he, will, he will save him or he will save her. He's basically talking about the individual as a whole. He's not necessarily talking about the soul of a person. For we know that only God is able to save the soul of the person, that inner person. But here, James has reference to the individual. And when he talks about saving his soul, he's basically saying, if that person, you reason with them and bring them back to the truth, the path they were trading in would have been stopped. You would have saved them from death. You would have saved them even in ultimate destruction. You would have saved the individual from being chastised at the hands of God. Because God do not let those he love wallow in sin. And James is saying, let him know that whoever saves, brings back a sinner from his sin will save him, will save his soul from death. And the second result that we're given is that of and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, James is saying this person is wandering in sin, is living in sin, committing sin, but when you reason with them, God uses you as an instrument of restoration. You, you, they come back to the faith. The, the sins they would have engaged in would be covered. And what he means by covering there, it's an Old Testament expression of seeking forgiveness and having your sins forgiven. And this is what David says in Psalm 32, blessed is he whose sins are covered. It's not that the sins are hidden from God or the sins are hidden from other Christians. It's the fact that this person has been shown his sin and is gone before God in Christ Jesus and he sought forgiveness from God. And when God forgives them of their sins, their sins are forgiven. They are covered in the Lord Jesus Christ. And also James highlights this truth that God uses you to accomplish his work. God is the one doing the work, but God uses you 
and then you get the rewards for the work that God is doing through you. You notice, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James isn't saying that as a reward of you stepping into the situation, God is covering your sins. No, but James is saying that in you stepping into the situation, God uses you to do the work, which ultimately it is him who's doing through you, but you get the rewards. You get the benefits. You help cover the sins and bring him back from the dead. And what words of encouragement and comfort that we see in this concluding verse or verses of the book of James. It's that when wayward believers return to God, a multitude of sins are covered. Once he repents, He's forgiven. He's hid in, in, in Christ. His sins are done away with. And we can rejoice with them. We can save God with them. We can be confident of the fact that God has restored our brother or our sister back to the fold. Their sins have been covered by Christ. They've been forgiven and they've been brought to the fellowship and we can save God together. And this is the, what James is giving us. These are the assured results. If we move in by the enabling of God the Holy Spirit and out of concern and love for one another, and we reason with those who are wandering in sin, God himself will work through us. God will bring about the results, and we get to rejoice with God in seeing that the person has been restored. And what a prophet we discover in obedience. But when we take this admonition seriously, we must expect to see results. We must expect to see God working in helping us to restore those who've gone astray. But also we must take it seriously because these, this is the means, or these are the means God used to cover a multitude of sins. Covering a multitude of sins, as I've said, is when they've repented, the Lord Jesus Christ forgives them of their sins. But also the possible sins they would have been committing. Remember, they are wandering away and they are gradually becoming deeper and deeper into sin. And we don't know what else they would have committed. We don't know what scandals they would have committed. And God is saying, be there, be each other's keeper. And if you do so, I can assure you of the results. You will save that person's soul and you will cover a multitude of sins. But you and I know that the, no believer would have peace apart from a right relationship with God. No believer would have peace apart from a right relationship with God. And hence we need to take this seriously. 
and be each other's keepers and see to it that those that are wandering from the fold of God, we are doing our part. And you've seen how James ends. From verse 13 to verse 20, he's been dealing with prayer. He says, if anyone is among you suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing, let him sing praises. Then he says, if anyone is sick, let him call upon the elders of the church. Then he gives the example of Elijah. And then as he concludes now, he's basically saying that while we will pray when you are sick, while we would pray in any given situation, we must not just end on praying. We must now act. And saying, if anyone, one, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Yes, pray for them, but don't just end there. Do something. Go talk to them. Approach them. Reason with them. Show them their sins. Be firm. Be gracious. Be loving. But let them know that they are wandering from the truth. And as you point it to them, then pray that God will, come, will make them see the errors of their ways and bring them back to his fold. But remember what I said. You don't need to leave the church in order to live the truth. It is possible to remain in the church years in, years out, and still wander from the truth. We must watch out for one another. We must take a keen interest in one another. If you don't see someone on the Lord's day, send them a note. Find out why. Encourage them to show up next time. Pray for them. If there's something you can do about the situation, move in so that you don't let your brother or your sister wander from the truth. And that's the challenging conclusion that James gives us. And it's my prayer that this will also be our challenge. That we'll look at our church directory and see who haven't I seen in the last three, four, five Sundays. Call them, find out why they've not been in church. It is our responsibility, all of us. And God will call us to account for the individuals he brings in our lives. The elders will do their part, but this is our collective responsibility. We are each other's keepers, and the Lord assures us of results. The concluding challenge that James puts before us is a timely reminder that in the Christian church there will be individuals that will wander from the truth. And therefore we must be watchful for such and reach out to them. But we must also understand that we are all vulnerable to temptation. We are all prone to wonder and to stray from the truth. None is above sin. 
None lives their lives perfectly. We need the presence and the power of God continually. But also, God has put us in a community called the church. Through his church and through individual members of the church, God works in them to be means of ministering his grace, his mercies, his love to them. We need one another. We need each other, rather. And we must watch and pray for one another. And as we come to the breaking of bread, to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, it must remind us of the passion, the love of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who says that if one has 99 sheep that are safe and one is away, he will go leave the 99 that is safe to go look for that one sheep and bring it to the sheep pen. That's the shepherd's heart. And that's what he wants all of us to have. That we must have this loving attitude towards one another. That we must look out for one another. We must not just enjoy the fellowship of those who have come to church on Sunday or those who live next door to us. But we must think of those who are far away from us, those who are members of our church, and we've not seen them in for some time, and you must have the heart of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look out for them, reach out to them, minister to them, and inquire why they've not been around. And our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, promises to be with us to the very end of our journey, and is the one who promises us that when we ask, we take this responsibility seriously. He assures us of the results. The results are that will be instrumental in the hands of God to save the person from their sins, but will also be instrumental in God's hands to bring about a covering of sin in their lives. And so as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we need to pause, examine ourselves, and ask the question, have I been a true brother's keeper? Or am I like Ken, who says, but, but why should I be my brother's keeper? We are each other's keepers. And may God help us to be true to this calling, to this admonition, and to show the world that we belong to one family, to one God, by the way we watch out for one another, and by the way we love one another. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father and our God, we do confess in solidarity that we've not been each other's keepers. There are times when we've tried and we've given up. There are times when you've impressed upon our hearts a name of a brother or a sister whom we've not seen for some time and you've allowed the busyness of the day or the busy shades of our lives to, to push that thought to the back of our minds 
and with time we forget. All that you cause us to have the agency that the scriptures have, that we must be in the business of restoring those who've wandered in sin. Help us, O oh God, to give ourselves to this ministry, to love one another, to be willing to inconvenience ourselves. Because this is work. Restoring backsliders is work. It will require our time. It will convenience us. It will require us to pray for one another. All that we may not sin against you by failing to live in this manner. We ask that as we come to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, all that you may cause us to be reminded of the true shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. The shepherd whose pledge that those whom the Father has given me, none will be lost. And he gave his life for his sheep and is interceding for the sheep and is given us his spirit as a deposit that we are his. All oh, that you may help us, O oh Lord, as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup to be reminded of the love of our shepherd. And may that love encourages us, steers our hearts to love those who are his, those who belong to you, those who have been baptized in the same faith, the same baptism, and the same Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, and may our time around the communion table be memorable. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.